Hey, what up? This is Shegs from ShegsAndStuff.com, and this is part one of a blog series through the Old Testament book of Esther, and today's blog post is titled, Straight Out of Persia. It goes without saying that the book of Esther is about the character named Esther. However, in the first chapter of Esther, we actually don't meet her. In fact, we get to meet some other characters in the main story. And so I'm going to spend this first blog post really talking about those folks, right? So we're going to focus on on, on really two characters, Xerxes and a woman named Vashti. So let's jump into Esther chapter one, because this party, <laughs> this party opens up with the mother of all parties. Like if you lived in 483 BC, which is when this book, the events of this book take place, um, this party is the party that you would have wanted to be invited to. Like it's, it's so lavish that it makes P. Diddy's white parties look like a tame Bible study. All right, so we'll come back to to this party in a minute, but allow me to introduce you to the guy hosting it. His name is Xerxes, and this dude has a pension for the extravagant. Now, he can afford it because he's actually the king of the vast and wealthy Persian empire. And in case you're wondering who this Xerxes is, yes, he is the um, he's the Hispanic Michael Jordan looking dude portrayed as King Xerxes in the movie 300. That's the guy we're talking about. In fact, the events of that movie actually take place around the same time of the book of Esther because it's actually dated. Um, the book is dated to the third year of Xerxes leadership, which is shortly before he goes to go fight the Greeks, which he actually fails in that battle. In fact, if you look at the book of Esther, chapter 2, verse 16, there's every indication that chapter 1 happens before he goes to Greece to go fight, and chapter 2 takes place after the fight. But we'll get to that next week or later on in the story. So let's go back to the party that this book opens with, because this party is, man, this party is impressive. Uh, the who's who of Persia is there. They've got celebrities, including military and political figures in Persia, but it's not the guest list that impresses us. What raises an eyebrow about this party is the duration of time. Are you ready for this? According to verse 4, the celebration lasted for 180 days. That, that, that's, if, in case you didn't get that, that is six months of straight up partying, all right? No. And, and it's funny because I think to myself, man, I've been to a party that lasted a whole day. And when I was in college, we had orientation week, which pretty much was a party all week. But six months, I'm like, come on, bro, right? And believe it or not, the six-month party doesn't end there. In fact, uh, the story goes on to tell us that after his six-month party for the royal and the nobles in Persia, uh, Xerxes throws open his gates for the local town folks in the city of Susa for another party that lasts a whole week. So this second party that lasts for seven days, these are the average folks who have not only shown up to get in on the excitement, but they've also shown up with their phones and their cameras to take pictures of just opulence and lavishness like they've never seen. Like these are the folks, these are the ones who let us regular folks learn from Facebook and Instagram how rich people live, right? And for that, we say thank you, right? But this after party was no less extravagant. I mean, uh, it, the scripture goes out of its way to tell us the, 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 uh, what was there. So forget putting up tents or plastic chairs. I mean, this second party had, scripture goes on to tell us they had marble pillars and purple curtains, which is pretty much the most expensive cloth you could buy back then. They had couches made of pure gold and pure silver. Yes, you heard that right. And mother of pearl. I don't, even, I don't even know what mother of pearl is. Like, I know what regular pearl is. So I'm going to imagine Pearl's mama is pretty fabulous, right? Whatever the case may be, this party had 
everything. Now, it's helpful to keep in mind here that this party may have been... Remember I said chapter 1 takes place before he marches off the Greece for the whole movie 300 scene, and chapter 2 happens after his failed attempt in his disastrous failure in Greece. And so it's very helpful here to realize that this party may have been Xerxes' way of building support within his army and his people and his royals, support for his invasion of Greece. Well, like, what better way to impress your generals, your military, key influential figures and garner support than by displaying your wealth and showing them a great time? And this detail will actually come in handy later on in the story, but remember that, okay? Now, the, the detail about this party, however, that's most pertinent to our discussion right now is the amount of alcohol served in it. Check this. Verse 7 says, Drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs, and there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity by the edict of the king. No limits were placed on drinking, for the king had instructed all his palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. And at the same time, uh, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. So I... I now, that last detail about Queen Vashti is important. We'll come back to that in a minute. But I think we can safely surmise that wherever there's this much alcohol flowing with a bunch of dudes trying to out-impress out one another, man, it's bound to end in disaster. Like, just picture in your mind's eye a bunch of frat guys, fraternity guys partying it up. You know it's not going to end well. And needless to say, by day seven, things head downhill pretty Quickly, right? Because with this many intoxica intoxicated dude, dudes, it's only a matter of time before one of them gets a brilliant idea and says, you know what this party needs? We need chicks, right? Because that's actually exactly what happens in verse 10, right? Check it out with me. It says, on the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine, right? In other words, dude is drunk. Um, he told the seven eunuchs who attended him jump down to verse 11, to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. And he wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very, very beautiful woman. Now, um, this is a good time, I think, as any, to introduce you to Vashti. Well, first of all, let me even say this. Xerxes is clearly drunk, and he's not thinking clearly. But, but in light of his true motive in hosting this party... Um, in bringing his wife out, his queen, this may actually have been a calculated move on his part to demonstrate to his subjects that, man, he is truly the big dog, right? Remember, this this um, this six-month-and-a-week shindig is calculated uh, a calculated move to boost national morale and garner support for his coming invasion of, Green, of Greece. So the queen's submission to his request would further indicate to his guests that, man, he could really deliver on whatever he promised, even the beautiful for women. So now's a good time for us to meet Queen Vashti, the second character in this story. Now, the little we know about her tells us that Vashti is a strong-minded, independent-thinking, self-assured, and might I point out, stunningly beautiful woman, royalty, who fully knows her worth. Scripture actually points out that she is that beautiful. And yes, I got all of that from verse 12. Go ahead and look at it. And it's also important to point out early in the story that, that because of her deep convictions, um, 
it'll ultimately, her convictions will ultimately set the stage for the entrance of the main character in this series, Esther, who we'll get to meet next week. But for now, let's stay with Vashti, all right? So, um, possibly not wanting to engage in the overindulgent reverie of the men, she's chosen to host her own special feast for the women of nobility, and, 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 and her own party might have included the wives and sisters and mothers of all the men of influence and power in Susa. So imagine the elegance of this party compared to the excess of the men's festivities. Then picture Vashti's party being interrupted by Xerxes' men, his seven eunuchs, with what was no doubt a completely, what must have sounded like a completely outrageous request. Now, scholars more versed than I in biblical history have wrestled with the true meaning of what the king really meant in verse 11 when he said, bring her out with the crown. Some have suggested in a manner that he may have been asking Vashti to come out with her royal crown to be paraded in front of his guest, or, or that in so doing, he might have really been asking her to come do a strip tease for him. In other words, come naked, let me show off your body to my friends. Um, other scholars played a little more safe by suggesting that her mere appearance would have involved lewd behavior, considering how drunk all the men at the party would have been. Whatever Xerxes' true motive were, one thing is certain. Vashti was being commanded to act in a manner that she was convinced was beneath her position as queen. Her royal crown was a symbol of her high status and the king's summons would have denied her that status. So think about what's happening here because in a culture where subjects, even the queen, are expected to obey the king absolutely, man, Vashti just proves to be cut from a completely different cloth than the prevailing culture because, listen, her integrity is at stake here. And how she responds, here's what she's thinking, how she responds will determine how the king will treat her in years to come. Furthermore, based on the conversation taking place with the men in verse 17, if Vashti yields to this unreasonable request, she could very well be setting a standard for how all the wives in Persia will be treated, many of whom were present at her party with her in the palace. And so uh, for her, there is only one reasonable response, because as far as she's concerned, her beauty and her body is hers alone, only to be shared with her husband and not his drunk buddies. And so in verse 12, man, we, we are going to savor every word Vashti says, right? So you got to picture her. She gets this request and she just straight up says, no, like, like I'm not, I'm not going to that. Like I, I, I describe this as her straight out of Persian moment. Like, forget it. I'm not, I'm not going to that. That's not me. But make no mistake about what just happened here. While we admire Vashti for standing her ground, sticking her convictions, man, it's going to come at a great cost. You remember, Xerxes, clearly still drunk, as soon as he hears that she's not coming, he gets mad. I mean, he's furious. And he was he has just been embarrassed in the presence of all his royal guests, and he has to take decisive action to prove to his guests that he's still in control. And so he consults his inner circle of, might I add, foolish advisors, and, and one very secure, oh, I'm sorry, one very insecure, not-so-gentleman makes his debut into the narrative. His name is Memucan. So just remember that name. Don't ever call your baby that. But his name is Memucan, and he undoubtedly has some unresolved marital issues in his own house. Like this dude has problems at home because of what he says next. He suggests to the king that Vashti needs to be 
dethroned and replaced. Like I'm talking about overreaction. And that it needs to be done publicly pronounced as a royal ruling. I mean, it's, it's a harsh response at first glance. But realistically, or, or Memukin actually reveals what his true motive is. This guy has an ulterior motive. Listen to him explain himself in verse 16 and see if you can pick up on his own self-serving agenda. He says, starting in 16, he says, it's not only the queen, it's not only the king, I'm sorry, it's not only queen, it's not only the king that Queen Vashti has insulted. It's all of us. Leaders and people are alike in every last one of the king's provinces. And the word's going to get out. Did you hear the latest about Queen Vashti? King Xerxes ordered her to be brought before him, and she wouldn't do it. And when the women hear this, they'll start treating their husbands with contempt. The day that the wives of the Persians and the Mede officials get wind of the queen's insolence, they will be out of control. Is that what we want? A country of angry women who don't know their place? When the king's first 20, when the king's ruling becomes public knowledge throughout the kingdom, extensive as it is, every woman, regardless of her social position, will show proper respect to her husband. And that's the New Living Translation. And by the way, you can pick your jaw off the ground now, right? I mean, this dude clearly has some insecurity issues. Now, you know what's even more disturbing and disheartening about Memucan's counsel to Xerxes? It's the fact that the king and the rest of the princes actually thought that it was a great idea and in fact actually passed a new policy to put it into action. So think about how this has just affected Vashti. Because she's just very possibly lost every luxury that she's been accustomed to over the years. But she's walking away a winner though, right? Because she didn't violate her conscience. Uh, her conscience. She's courageously stood up to the most powerful man in the world. And you know what, man? I, I applaud her for it, right? All right. Selah. Let's pause here, right? Because um, I think it's important to remind, as much as we feel angry at Xerxes and we're, we things feel unfair for Vashti, it's important at this juncture to remind you that this study, this blog series, is about Esther, not Vashti. She's sort of one of the side characters. And I, and I point this out um, because unbeknownst to Esther, wherever she may be when all of this is happening in the palace, unbeknown to Esther, God has just orchestrated events in the royal palace that will forever change her life wherever she may be. In fact, in the following chapters, Esther, and this is a spoiler alert, um, Esther is going to ascend to the very throne that Vashti has just been forced to vacate. Yet, Esther has no idea what's about to hit her in her soon-to-be royal tushi, right? Like, she has no idea what's about to happen. And it really makes me wonder, like, where in your life is God orchestrating events behind the scenes that'll turn out for your awesome good and his greater glory. Isn't that fascinating? Where's God right now working? Now, there's several lessons to be learned from this first chapter of our series through Esther. Hopefully some of it jumped out at you, but if it didn't, here are at least two things that were, two lessons that were meaningful to me that I want to share with you. Lesson one, and it's this, and we learned it from Vashti. Do not compromise your values for the sake of winning anyone's approval. Listen, like Vashti, um, standing up by your convictions may very well come at a cost. We, you need to know that up front. All right? It may come at a cost. You, you might lose a job. You might lose a friend. You might even lose money. The guy of, or girl of your dreams may walk away from you because of your convictions. But remember this. It is better to please and honor God and to win, then to win the approval of man. Proverbs 16 verse 8 says, Better to have little with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. 
And the mindset that you will need to adopt to get you through some of the losses you may suffer will require, uh, it'll require a mindset that really says, I'm willing to pay the price now and I'll receive my reward later. That's the kind of thinking you need to adopt in order to stand by your convictions. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, along with Galatians 6, 9, reminds us not to get tired of doing what is good. For just at the right time, men, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. It's better to, it's better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. So do not compromise your values for the sake of winning everyone's, anyone's approval. They're not worth it. Lesson number two, this is important. God is always at work in your life, even in the painful silence. So, so though this chapter mostly focused on Vashti and Memucan and Xerxes, listen, this book is ultimately about another woman completely, right? Esther. Like in the coming weeks, you'll discover that God was not only paving the path for Esther to ascend the Persian throne, but he was actually preparing her to serve in that role because of something greater that was coming later on, where Esther would need to be the rescuer of the Jewish nation. Yet Esther knows none of this. And he's working behind the scenes. So we go, God, where are you? God, where are you? God tends to do that in our lives. We may wake up one morning and by the end of the day, we find out that uh, we've been offered the job we've been we've always dreamed of or, or we've met the man or woman of our dreams or we've experienced a financial breakthrough or we've suddenly been healed from a sickness we've long struggled with. It, it's called the suddenness of God's blessing. Now, from our vantage point, it may appear sudden, sort of like the day Esther was suddenly drafted into the beauty pageant that resulted in her being king. But listen, in God's master plan, man, he has been at work, long at work behind the scenes in your life. It was true of Esther, and it will most certainly be true of you as a follower of Jesus Christ. God is at work even in the silence. The book of Esther reminds us that God, even though his name is never mentioned in the book, we see his hand orchestrating events behind the scenes for our grander purpose. And so I hope you'll join me in the coming weeks as we continue to uncover God's grand plan, not only for Esther, but for us also. In the meantime, um, please feel free to sign up at the bottom of this page um, for to download the accompanying devotional study guide that I created for this blog series. I hope it blesses you, and I hope that you never forget that through Christ in you, no matter how far you stray, God not only loves you, but God still likes you. Peace. Peace.